0: can be released to Children's Church, which they'll find through this door at the front on the left side of the sanctuary. And could I ask the rest of us to open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. And you'll find that on page 1194 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews 13. We're starting with verse 9. It's good that we read Daniel 3 this morning because I think it has a similar theme to the passage here that people look for substitute gods and here people look for substitutes to the cross. Hebrews 13 uh, verses 9 through 14 page 1194 and uh, let's start with verse 7 just to get a, a running start. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat, The priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message here about the cross, about the work of the Savior. We pray that you will open our eyes to appreciate the Savior and his work all the more. And Lord, we pray that you'll be with Pastor Jeremy as he is preaching today at North River Community Church. And Lord, we ask for your blessing on that church, the whole congregation, the leaders, the pastors. Father, we pray for a spirit of grace and of love to be poured out on them, and for unity that they will draw closer to you. And Father, as you're blessing them, bless us as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. when uh, it's great that we can live in a day when there are these uh, wonder drugs. Uh, I was early in uh, getting getting uh, up to speed with this. When I was a kid, I learned about this from my brother. Uh, he told me that if you're ever sick, if you feel, you know, kind of not quite right, and you don't want to tell Mom and Dad about it, it, you just go right to the medicine cabinet and take a medium-sized dose of toothpaste, and you'll be all better. And, uh, you know, the the medicinal value of toothpaste is greatly underappreciated. Um, And I've also heard about Windex. So, you know, I I think that we, uh, when we look at the cross, when we look at God's remedy for sin, God's plan of redemption, that we're often like children who would rather choose any kind of substitute, any other kind of uh, provision than that which our... Heavenly Father has provided for us, and sometimes they can be just foolish things. And so that's what uh, the writer in Hebrews is, is encountering in his people. Um, so he's summing up the book of Hebrews, he's summing up the argument, and he comes back to his main argument, which is the Old Testament. Im- uh, the Old Testament ceremonies foreshadow the work of Christ on the cross, and so he makes this appeal that they need to hold on to the teachings that have been passed on to them by their teachers and not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. But their focus needs to be on the cross of Christ. God works through the cross and believers need to depend on it and depend on the cross alone. God works through the cross. And first I want us to see in verse 9, that God strengthens through the cross. God strengthens His people. He gives them spiritual power and encouragement through the cross. And so let me read verse 9. It says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. And then as he continues with his argument... He bolsters uh, that direction that they should be strengthened by grace with references to the atonement and the work of Christ on the cross. So we should be strengthened by the cross. Believers should be strengthened by the cross. This is how God strengthens his people. You know, in in these uh, days when this was being written, during New Testament times, it seems that People were drawn aside so readily by the temptation to make themselves holy by special food laws. That by controlling what they would eat and drink, that they might make their lives you know, more in line and have more spiritual power, that they might strengthen their hearts by food. And uh, so we, we look in the, in the New Testament, we, we hear things like this, Romans 14:7. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 8.8, he comes at it again. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. In Galatians 2, a huge controversy about who you can eat with and who you can't eat with. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And then again, Paul uh, addressing False teachings, all kinds of false teachings, just like we're reading about in Hebrews 13 here. Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. People in New Testament times were tempted to trust in food laws and what kind of ceremonial foods they would eat to give them spiritual strength, to strengthen their hearts. And uh, I think we have different temptations today. I think that uh, our temptations are not so much in the, in the area of foods, though, you know, people do treat food like a religion. And, uh, you know, there, there, there are whole food chains that seem to market not just food items, but a worldview. And uh, the eating it seems to have some bigger significance than just putting calories and nutrition into the body. Um, and so there there does seem to be something going on with food <coughs> that goes a little bit <coughs> excuse me beyond the bounds. but uh, I think that what we're tempted with is not food but fads. We're tempted in a different religious background environment. We're tempted with different different ways that we would compromise and substitute our loyalty and dependence upon the cross. And I think that the the chief God among all the gods in the pantheon that we live in of our culture is called the God of self, the self-God. And it's very strange, but it's, uh, you know, idolatry is always a sort of a self-centered kind of worship, but I think in our day we just take it, you know, take it and, and make it plain that you just put yourself first. Do it for yourself. And so you know, we go to our, our soul healers and they teach us uh, you know, things about self-actualization and self, uh, self-esteem and uh, self-assertiveness and lots of self-oriented things. And, and those things are good in their place. But what strengthens your heart? What is it that keeps your heart strong? What is it that brings blessing into your life? Do you compromise and go over to some other things and serve the God of self instead of someone beyond yourself who can save you? And so I think this is the area where we're tempted. All kinds of strange teachings come. All kinds of ways of combining the Bible with all sorts of self, self-help teachings. And these are the things that I think pull us aside and tempt us and distract us. Um, you know, perfect illustration. <clears throat> my wife was uh, talking with a co-worker and a uh, wonderful lady from all that my wife has described about her. Very sweet, nice lady. My, my wife gets along with her very well. Uh, but she was asking I have to do some, some extra work uh, after hours, and she said, I'm sorry, I have to go to a, a meeting at church uh, at that time. And... Uh, the lady said, Well, oh, that's good. It's good. You should do something for yourself. And, uh, you know, there's just something, it didn't quite match with my wife. And then she didn't say anything, she didn't answer back, but it just it's stuck in her cross somehow. I guess if you just divide life into two areas, work and self, then, you know, that kind of makes sense. But, um, you know, when, when we do things uh, involving church and Christ and the people of God, you know, what we're trying to do is, is deny ourselves and sacrifice ourselves and put Christ first. And so the cross calls us to put self aside and to look to God, to, uh, to rely on him alone, to deny ourselves. And uh, it's not easily fit together with this religion of self. And yet that's what we try to do. And uh, we make very strange crosses, don't we? Um, What strengthens our hearts? The heart of a believer is strengthened. When he hears God speaking through his word, speaking to him and saying, look, here is what I have done in time and space. I have sent my son for you because I loved you because I wanted to atone for you, you, to cleanse you, to renew you. So look to the cross. Look to what I've done. Look to this great sacrifice, one for all time, in which your sins are washed away and you are made new and you have life. Look and see what I've done. See my love. See my faithfulness. See my commitment to you and be strengthened. This, This is grace coming to us Through the cross, God's strengthening us through the cross. So this is how the cross strengthens. God strengthens through the cross, and then how he does it is God reconciles through the cross. And so that's what our writer unpacks here. God strengthens through the cross, and God reconciles through the cross. So if we look at verses 10 through 12... Um, I'd like to take those as a paragraph. I think that the the paragraph break should have been before before verse 10 instead of after verse 10 because verses 10 through 12 are all stitched together in the original language with conjunctions and uh, the whole together makes one argument and it's an argument centered on Golgotha the place where Jesus was crucified, Calvary, the cross. So let me read verses 10 through 12. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. God reconciles through the cross. So here we see that the high priest uh, carries out a ritual for reconciliation on the Day of Atonement. This is the Day of Atonement that it's talking about here in verse 11. When the high priest carries blood into the most holy place as an offering. That only happens once a year on the Day of Atonement, which you can read about in Leviticus 16. So put a bookmark here in Hebrews chapter 13, and let's go back again and look at Leviticus chapter 16. It's the third book of the Bible. In the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 113. And I want us just to see that image that was so familiar to the original readers of the book of Hebrews, that image of the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement, that great high day once a year when the high priest would go into the most holy place to make atonement. And I want us to see uh, what atonement is, what it involves. See the picture, and then we'll get its meaning. So Leviticus 16, starting with verse 11, page 113 in the Pew Bible. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain... he's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. Okay, so that he's got to be protected from seeing the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the testimony. The Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments, the testimony, are kept in that chest. And it has a gold cover and a special cover called the atonement cover which is where atonement is made, where blood is applied. And so what we have here is the inner room, the holy of holies or the most holy place. It's the sanctuary within the sanctuary, the temple inside the temple that has its own little mini altar inside. Sacrifices and burnt offerings are made all the time in the altar out front out front of the meeting tent. But here inside, in the most holy place, is a little altar, a special altar, only used to make atonement for sin on the Day of Atonement. And this is where uh, the priest is coming, Aaron is coming, and applying blood for atonement once a year. So verse 14, he is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it in front of the atonement cover, and then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger uh, seven times before the atonement cover. So then he does the same thing with, the, with another animal. It's a goat this time. And this is for the sins of the people. The bull was for his sins and his household. And then the goat is for the sins of the nation. And, it, and so it describes on verse 16, the sins that need to be atoned for. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place Because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He has to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And then uh, verse 17, no one's supposed to be in the tent. Down at the end of verse 17, um, no one's supposed to be in the tent until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Blood. Blood has to be presented in the most holy place to show that death has taken place and so that God's wrath against sin is appeased. That is atonement. That is what atonement accomplishes. And so, in the same way, if you go back to Hebrews 12, you'll find that this is what Jesus has done for us. His blood has been shed so that it can be seen that death has taken place and so that wrath can be turned away. But in that case in the Old Testament, it was only the death of a bull and it was only ceremonial. It was only a picture. It was only a foreshadowing. But with Christ, we are one with him spiritually. He is one of us. And we have become one with Him through faith and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're united with Christ and His death is our death. And His blood isn't presented just in the inner sanctuary of a temple on earth, but His blood is presented. His sacrifice is presented. He Himself stands and presents Himself before the Father and prays for us. This is atonement. This is what Christ achieved for us on the cross. He took away God's wrath. He bore our punishment. And so Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Atonement is at the center of Christianity. The cross is the symbol that's always used in churches. And Christians ever since the first days have always focused on the cross. And so the ritual of initiation into Christianity is baptism in which a person is buried rem- remembering the death of Christ. And then the ongoing ritual of fellowship in, in the church Ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord's Supper in which we take bread and wine and commemorate the death, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We commemorate his cross work. We commemorate atonement. The cross is at the center of Christianity. Always has been. It was the center of Jesus' work. It's what he came for. Uh, let Just listen to uh, some of these words from the New Testament about how crucial... Atonement is. Would you just turn back to Hebrews 9, 23. Hebrews 9, verse 23. I want to read a few verses there first. I want to show you that the cross is at the center of Christianity, that God reconciles through the cross. Hebrews 9, 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared. Once for all, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The cross is at the center of the ages, the center of Christianity. Jesus said, Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 1:29, John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he gives testimony, the first words out of his mouth, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, the sacrificial Lamb. What did Jesus come for? To die on the cross. John 12, Jesus talks about his mission as he's nearing the cross. He's told by one of his disciples, Andrew, that there are some Greeks who want to talk to him. And so he envisions the day when the gospel will indeed go out to Greeks and even Americans and people all around the world. And he talks about what he must do now to make that possible. John 12:23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. God is glorified in the cross. Christ came to die on the cross. God is glorified in the atonement of the cross. But people are ashamed of it. People are uncomfortable with all this talk about blood and sacrifice and the idea that God can't just forgive. And so people come up with all kinds of different uh, theories about the atonement, the governmental theory, that what the cross was really for was just to make it so that God would seem to be a good governor even though he was forgiving people of their sins. Or the, the example theory, that what the cross was really for was just to set a good example for us so that we would know how we ought to act. And so there are all these different theories, but what all of the theories have in common is that they take one part of the cross work of Jesus and make it the whole thing. And they leave out atonement, which is what the New Testament everywhere and even the Old Testament make to be the central requirement for fellowship with God. What we need to be saved is atonement. We need the blood to be taken into heaven, the blood that was shed for us and displayed before the Father so that he sees, yes, indeed, the death has taken place. His justice has been satisfied. He need no longer carry out his fierce and holy righteous wrath but it can be laid aside the storm has passed and the sun has shone and there is peace that's what the cross does but people say why can't god just forgive and you know it, it's it's a hard one to answer i mean why is there this need for blood anyway why why who needs jesus why can't god just forgive I mean, aren't we supposed to forgive? Why can't God just do the same? And uh, I guess a couple things wrong with that. One is, it minimizes the claims of God. God is pure. He is holy. He has never done anything wrong to anybody. He doesn't deserve to have anything wrong done to him. And God is creator. Everything good that's ever been done to anybody is from God. He's the one who has given us all good and so we owe him perfect, complete love, infinite love, if that could come from a finite being. We owe him everything and more than we can imagine because everything we can imagine and think of that is good is from him. And so for us to say, why, why doesn't he just forgive? It, it's, uh, it's cheeky. It's insulting. It doesn't take seriously the glory of God. It takes very seriously myself and what I want and what would make me more comfortable than all this talk about the cross and blood. The cross is insulting. The scandal of the cross, the offense of the cross. But there's another thing wrong with this view. Why doesn't God just forgive? It's not only that God is holy and the creator but also that we don't really believe that forgiveness is that simple. We don't really believe that it's right to just forgive when things are done wrong. What if we tried to run our country that way? What if we tried to run our courts that way? That uh, you were caught speeding again. Well, that's okay. Just We'll bring you into court. You make a sincere apology and we'll just forgive you. Okay, you were caught drunk driving again. Uh, you wrecked your neighbor's car. Uh, we'll bring you in to court and you just make a sincere apology. Be really sincere this time and we'll just forgive you. Oh, you murdered another person. Well, you can see it doesn't work. We can't carry on this way. Why can't you just forgive? Why do you make such a big deal of it when people do wrong to you? And they have to make it right. And you don't just forgive. Well, the reason Christians need to forgive is not because they can just forgive. It's because their sins have been washed away by their judge. It's because Christ has paid such a huge debt for them that they cannot find it in their hearts to accuse when someone does wrong to them. Well, I guess I do find it in my heart to accuse. But when I pause and look at the cross, then it it melts that hatred. It melts that anger. And I find that God reconciles through the cross. God strengthens through the cross. God reconciles through the cross. Don't try to uh, revise the cross don't try to switch it around and make it something more comfortable because the cross makes people uncomfortable. And that's our third point. God strengthens through the cross. God reconciles through the cross. And God divides through the cross. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace on the earth, but division, to bring a sword. From now on, the members of a family will be against each other. The the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. Well, that's always going on anyway, right? But uh, yeah, the people of a person's own house will be his enemies. That was what Jesus said. And uh, so there is is a loathing of the cross. The more you are faithful to the cross, the more you depend on the cross, the more you are loyal and true to the cross and cling to it, the more you will make people uncomfortable and they will reject you. You and your message and your beliefs. And so the cross divides. The message of the cross, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is foolishness to the world. He talks about the offense of the cross in Galatians uh, 5.11. Hear these words from Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 2. verse 14 to 16, he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? God divides humanity. He divides the world through the cross. It's a strange thing, this division. It's strange that people don't accept Christ, that they don't delight in the cross, that they don't just get excited and and embrace the good news of salvation. I remember when, when I first... You know, finally came around to understanding what salvation meant. And uh, my life began to change. And I was filled with joy And, and this strengthening that we're talking about and the peace that we're talking about. I began to experience it. And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. It was like I had discovered the cure for cancer. And I, I just couldn't keep quiet about it. And so I, I was in college. I was a college student. I went home, and I brought with me my New Testament, and I just sort of had it around where everybody could see it. And I wanted to talk with with my my loved ones about it. And what was their response? Well, the same kind of response I had always had before. You got to be kidding. You, what kind of cult is this? I mean, you've gone off the deep end. I mean, be serious. You, you got to. You know, so it, it becomes insulting very fast. when you When you talk back and you're excited about it, then they talk back and they become insulting, and they kind of push you down. and uh, it was not a pretty sight because, you know, I was maybe a little bit overenthusiastic. Um, I, I had a gift for preaching even then, but I misused it greatly. Uh, but But it's so strange to us. It's so strange. Who could have ever foreseen? that there would be such a division around this wonderful gift of salvation, but it's foretold in the Old Testament. And that's what Hebrews 13, 11, and 12, I think that's what they're about, is a picture, an Old Testament picture, of the division that takes place. And so you have that sacrifice, and the blood is brought into the inner, inner place into the very Ark of the Covenant where it's sprinkled and makes a powerful atonement for all the people. So the great Day of Atonement takes place and there's great peace and satisfaction and joy in the entire community. Usually, when a sin offering is made, the priest eats the sin offering. But for this one, when the blood has gone in and has really done the work and has gone into God's presence then the body is taken outside the camp, out where you you expel the lepers to because they're unclean and they can't be with God's people. Out to where someone has to go when they're unclean. And then the, the bull has to be burned out there. The goat has to be burned out there. No one eats any of it. No one touches any of it. In fact, the person who burns it is unclean until evening. and has to stay outside the camp. And so... This very one whose blood brought reconciliation is rejected and put outside the camp. And so that is the picture of our great day of atonement, the cross of Jesus Christ. His blood accomplishes the purpose. It achieves the atonement for all of his people. And yet he himself is rejected and outside the camp. Not only outside the camp of Israel, they didn't believe. But even today, he's outside the camp and he's rejected. And so what does the writer tell the people they should do? Verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For this is no enduring city, but there's a city to come. So much better. So much better. Don't hold on to the things of this world. Don't transform the cross into something that will be acceptable in this city. Don't try to look for substitutes. Don't go to other gods. Don't go to other places. But come to the cross of Jesus Christ and find your salvation. Find your life. Find your strengthening. Find your renewal. Find your hope there. Have you come to this cross Have you come to this Savior? Have you put your faith in Him? Has His blood been applied to you? Do you have peace with God through the Son of God, through Christ, through His sacrifice? Are you united with Him? Are you born again? What strengthens your heart? Will you turn to Christ today? Will you put your faith in Him and depend on Him? for an eternal salvation, not just a picture of salvation, but the real thing that will last all through life and beyond the grave. Will you bow with me in prayer?